Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 9th of July 2023, 9.30 service. Stephen Kurt speaking on the spirit of judgment. So, who on earth chose the reading and the sermon for today? Who on earth chose those things? We have a lovely occasion in the baptism of little Alice Carley, and we might expect, under those circumstances, for the reading and the sermon that follow to be really warm and uplifting. But no. The vicar, in his wisdom, has chosen instead to speak on just about the most difficult passage that has ever been found in the New Testament. The passage that tells us the story of this couple in the early church called Ananias and Sapphira. I think we've got a picture of them to come up. There they are. Having lied about how much money they've given to the church, and then as a result, they're very suddenly and dramatically struck down dead. Can you honestly think of anything less appropriate for such a lovely occasion? Well, the case for the defence starts by saying that we had the programme lined up well before we decided that this Sunday was the best one to baptise little Alice. But rather than because we had to slavishly stick to that programme, the better reason why it's okay is because it's a passage through its rather scary nature that tells us something really important about the nature of the church that Alice is entering today and the role of the Holy Spirit within it. See, it's very possible for us to just to want the good stuff in life, isn't it? just to want the nice stuff. And that can be precisely the same when it comes to thinking about the Holy Spirit. So, so far in this series on the Holy Spirit, we've thought about the spirit of power. We've thought about the spirit of witness. We've thought about the spirit of prayer, and we've thought about the spirit of fellowship. And while all of those subjects come with challenge, It's generally been a challenge to grab the opportunities that God, through the Holy Spirit, has given us. The whole point of this series, including Katie's personal testimony about her experience of the Holy Spirit last week, has been to encourage us to realise the power of God that is there for us to tap into. To recognise what has become possible because of the truth of Pentecost. That because of what Jesus did through his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, God has now come to live within his people, making things possible that weren't before. And that's why both individual Christians, and more crucially the church as a whole, is called God's temple. In the Old Testament, the people of God knew that God was in heaven, but they also believed that he was active on earth. And the special place on earth where God's presence, they believed, could be encountered was this building, the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was the powerful symbol that God and his power wasn't distant from the world, but was at hand and was available for his people to tap into. That's why it was such a disaster when the Babylonians destroyed that temple in 586 BC and took God's people into exile. And while the temple was later rebuilt, God's presence never quite returned to it in the same way. And that's because God's plan 
was to bring his presence into the world in a more personal way, in his son, Jesus Christ. That's why when Jesus spoke about his death and resurrection, he said these words. He said, destroy this temple, he was talking about himself, and I will raise it again in three days. So Jesus becomes God's temple in person because he embodies God's personal presence. But after Jesus' ascension into heaven, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost means it is then the church, you and me, who become that temple. Because we are, according to the Bible, the community in which God dwells by his Holy Spirit. Now it's this that explains all the wonderful stuff that the church was able to do because it had God's power, God's presence working through his people. All of that stuff that we've heard about over the last few weeks. But by the same token, and this is the link to the story that we had read earlier, the church being a temple of God's Holy Spirit means that it also has to be a place of holiness. You see, back in the Old Testament, what we see there is that God's presence amongst his people was the source, yes, of great comfort and power, but also because of God's great holiness, it was something that his people could never take lightly. They could never be casual about God's presence being amongst them. And that's why, on the occasions when that did happen, when we see a casualness towards God's presence, the results can be really terrible. So in Leviticus chapter 10, a story that not many people know about because Leviticus isn't often read because it seems so opaque, but in Leviticus chapter 10, we see the sons of Aaron, Moses' brother and Israel's high priest, they go into God's presence casually, and they're instantly, according to the story, burnt up, they're consumed by fire. We see something similar in 2 Samuel, where a man called Uzzah stretches out his hand to steady the Ark of the Covenant. I always feel sorry for this guy because it looks as though it's going to fall off this cart where it's been taken towards Jerusalem, this symbol of God's presence. The oxen stumble, he puts out his hand to steady the Ark, and according to the story, he's promptly struck dead because of his irreverence. Now, some people take these stories completely literally. Other people believe that they're more symbolic. But either way, what they're demonstrating is that God's powerful presence amongst his people is something that those people can never and should never be casual about. That's why in the Old Testament, the people had to keep their distance from God. And only the priests, once they'd thoroughly purified themselves, were allowed to go near God's presence. And even then, there was a curtain separating them for most of the time from God. I remember the first time that I sat in a car with my dad when I was starting to learn to drive at the age of 17. Now, if I'd known it would take 22 years for me to pass the test, I might not have bothered. But I didn't know that back then. I did have a 20-year gap, I hasten to add. Not 22 years of consistent failure. But my dad, as many parents have done down the years, told me, as a 17-year-old, very strictly, a lot of you would have had a similar conversation, I'm sure, with a parent that driving was exciting and liberating, but also, because of the power involved, highly dangerous, and should never, therefore, be approached in a casual or thoughtless manner. Now, while that's not a perfect parallel, there is something similar 
in the Bible's view of our attitude towards God's presence through the Holy Spirit. God's presence is something wonderful and intended to bless us in all sorts of amazing ways. But precisely because God's presence is so powerful, that presence of God is something that we should always respect and never sit lightly to. And that, I suggest, is what this rather scary story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 is here to show. The early chapters of the Acts of the Apostles are trying to show us that through the Holy Spirit, God's presence was very much amongst these early Christians. They really had become God's new temple, the symbol of his presence within the world. But in just the same way as those incidents in the Old Testament where people came to grief through a casual or irreverent approach to God's presence, so the writer of Acts is trying to tell us the same was perfectly possible to people within the early church. And in this case, it happened through their deceit, didn't it? At the end of Acts chapter 4, we didn't have this bit read, but at the end of Acts chapter 4, we hear about a man in the early church called Barnabas who owned a field and he sold it so he could give all the proceeds to the apostles for the church. And what then happens is that another member of the church, Ananias, he looks a bit of a crook in that picture, doesn't he? Another man in the church called Ananias, he then sells some property that he owned and with his wife Sapphira's knowledge, he brings just part of the money to the apostles. Now, what was the problem with that? Weren't they meant to keep any money for themselves? Surely some generosity to the church was better than none. Well, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that the couple lied about it. Ananias, when he brought the money to the church, pretended that it was all of the proceeds from the property that he'd sold. And his wife, Sapphira, some hours later, she did precisely the same. And Peter, who appears to be the leading apostle, was pretty severe about it. Here are some words that he speaks. How is it, he says to Ananias, that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit. If you lie to the church, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. That's the implication of what's being said here. And then he says this a little bit later. You've not lied to men, but to God. Ananias might think he's just telling a bit of a fib to the other members of the church. It's all fairly harmless. Peter says, no, you've lied to God. And still later, Peter says to Sapphira, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? And the rather scary result in the story is that Ananias and Sapphira, a few hours apart, when they hear these words, they then promptly drop down dead. So what are we to make of this? Even with the explanation I've given, it's problematic, isn't it, in many ways? What on earth has this got to teach us about the Holy Spirit? Well, the first thing really is this point I've already made about having a proper respect, a proper fear for God's presence within the church through his Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is within his people, within his church, for entirely positive reasons. To enable us to have the power to do the things that we couldn't otherwise do. The Spirit is here to give us a love for one another that we wouldn't be able to achieve otherwise. The Spirit is here to give us a courage to witness for God in difficult circumstances, to witness that all that he has done through Jesus 
in a way that we wouldn't be able to otherwise. The Spirit is here to give us a wisdom and an insight in discerning what is good and what is bad within the world in a way that we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. But precisely because of all of this, the enormous power of God's Spirit living amongst the church, this tremendous resource that we've been given, has to therefore be respected. And we do that primarily by seeking to live lives that are consistent with what God is like. In other words, seeking to live lives of holiness. And we fail in this, of course we do. That's where God's forgiveness comes in. That's why we have a confession each week. That's why we're encouraged to ask God to forgive our sins. But passages like the one that we're looking at this morning are there to remind us that being casual about hypocrisy, claiming to be or to do one thing whilst being or doing something quite different is actually really dangerous. And it's particularly dangerous when we're living within a community that contains the presence of God through his Holy Spirit. That ups the danger. If we weren't within a community that contained God's Spirit, perhaps that would contain less danger. There were all sorts of people outside the church who were telling lies and stuff. They weren't affected in the same way as Ananias and Sapphira in this story. It ups the stakes when we're part of a community that contains the presence of God through his Holy Spirit. Now, like those stories in the Old Testament, I do want to emphasise that there are some who take the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts literally, while others see it as more of an illustration. But either way, however we interpret it on that level, basically it's pointing us to the crucial importance of the church being a place of integrity and the danger that comes when that isn't the case. Integrity is when who we are in reality matches up to what we claim to be. It's when what we say and claim to stand for matches up to how we behave in private. A number of years ago, I remember going to Rains Park High School, not far away from here, when we were looking at possible schools for our children. I don't even remember which one of our children we were there concerning. I don't actually remember anything about it at all, apart from one amazing statement that the then headmaster of that school made. I think it had such an effect on me that everything else that was happening sort of rather faded into the background. Because this brilliant headmaster, I think he's a head somewhere else now, he said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, I want the children at Rains Park High School to have integrity. And my definition of integrity to the kids at this school, he said, is them doing the right thing when no one is looking. Doing the right thing when no one is looking. That's a pretty brilliant definition of integrity, isn't it? Whatever age we've reached. God wants the church to be a shining beacon of love and courage and wisdom, but he also wants the church to be authentic, a shining beacon of holiness, not just outwardly, but through and through. God wants the church to be a community of people that live lives that reflect God's goodness. And as I say, that holiness can't just be at a surface level, at the level of appearances. It can be faltering and it can be imperfect, but it's got to be genuine. And it's got to be without hypocrisy. 
And the particular challenge, I think, coming from this passage, I think is the challenge of always being truthful. To put it another way, not lying. Lying is an incredibly useful tool for getting through life, isn't it? Especially when what we say isn't a full-blown lie, when it's just exaggerating or it's just editing, leaving out bits of information when we're claiming to tell the truth or the story of something. You know, being economical with the truth, as it was once put. We've all done it, and we've done it because it's convenient for our purposes. And we've told ourselves that there's no harm in it. But when we claim to be a Christian, this passage is saying, it is positively dangerous. And that's because it's so discordant with the Holy Spirit living within us. We're doing violence to the temple that we're meant to be of the Holy Spirit. Now, we might not drop down dead, as Ananias and Sapphira did, but what this story points us to is each time we willfully lie as a Christian, we lose a little bit more of that new life that God wants us to have. We become a bit less of that person that God is preparing us to be in his new creation. That's why he gives us his spirit as an advance instalment of what he's one day going to make us in our entirety. And we sabotage the process when we're untruthful, when we willfully lie. We become, in short, a little bit less fully human every time we do that. But on the other hand, putting it uh, more positively, if we are committed to speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love, which is an important part of what speaking the truth involves, it's all part of us being inwardly renewed, inwardly changed by God's spirit and made further and further into the people that God wants us to be. I mentioned my dad earlier in the context of learning to drive. And I've got to say, and I've said this from this pulpit before, that the thing that's had the biggest impact upon me growing up and knowing that Christianity was true was seeing my parents' integrity. Seeing that their faith really did match up to what they were like when no one was looking or the congregation wasn't looking. My dad was a vicar. That doesn't mean they were perfect, far from it. But their public persona as Christians matched up to what they were like in private. And that's actually what God wants for all children baptised in Christian families and brought up within them. You see, we grow up in a household where there's hypocrisy, where there's a massive gulf between what parents claim to live for and what they're like in practice, then nothing's actually more damaging to children on all sorts of levels. But grow up in a household where they see consistency and integrity, and it is incredibly powerful. Then the power all becomes positive rather than destructive. And the challenge for all of us this morning is the challenge to really live by what we believe. To recognise, in particular, the importance of making a real commitment to truthfulness. And to recognise the fact that the church can't be any of those things that we're meant to be. A church full of the spirit of fellowship and witness and prayer. All those wonderful things we've thought about over the last few weeks. The church really can't be any of these things without reflecting the nature of who God is at the centre of our community. So there is a link between the baptism of little Alice, who's fallen asleep now. I think she's, uh, she's drifted off in one of my sermons. She might do that in the future as well, you never know. 
But there is a link to the baptism of lovely little Alice and her joining the family of the church. And of course, she does that as part of a family that has so much background in this church and we value so much. Whenever we have a baptism, we mark God's Holy Spirit being present within this community as God adds to our number. And part of us as a church fulfilling our responsibility to Alice and fulfilling our responsibility to every other member of this church is us seeking to live lives of integrity, lives that are consistent with the Christian faith that we process, profess and thereby take the awesome presence of God amongst us really seriously. Let's say a short prayer before I hand back to Katie. Father God, we thank you for your spirit being amongst your people and within our lives, making us into temples of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for all the wonderful things that brings with it, the power to do all sorts of things that we couldn't otherwise, but we pray, Lord God, that you'd always make us acutely aware of the vital nature of integrity of being holy in all the ways that you call us to, and particularly on the matter of truthfulness. It's so easy for us to tell little lies to get through life, and yet it always comes with consequences. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to show that integrity that you want us to show. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.